Uh, as we turn toward the scriptures tonight, I want to invite you to grab your Bible right now and go to James chapter 1 uh, as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of James. Uh, I'll tell you, as you turn there tonight, uh, tonight is really one of those nights uh, where we teach verse-by-verse through books of the Bible like this. And we kind of have a pattern here at Calvary where, where typically we're just kind of working through the scriptures and teaching it. Uh, and this is one of those weekends where I just love that we have that kind of pattern. Uh, and I'll explain to you why. You, you know, in this last year, one of the um, things that has come in, as you can imagine, quite a lot of feedback, criticism, encouragement, a lot of things have come in our way. Uh, and one of the things that we heard that, that, to be quite honest, surprised us a little bit uh, was we heard from a number of voices saying something to this effect. With all that's going on in the world right now, how can you just keep teaching through the Bible? And this surprised us because our view is very different on this. Our view is that with all that is going on in the world, how could we do anything but teach through the Bible right now? That's our view. And and so here's what we believe. Like we do not believe that we're called here to just kind of look through the news on the last week and then give you guys our perspective on that. And there's times we've done that. There's times we've paused and addressed big things that have happened in culture. And Pastor Sean has always led us through that well. Uh, But what I want to talk about tonight is that sometimes we're just going to be teaching through the Bible. And like Pastor Sean mentioned, in the fall, we lay out a preaching calendar for the year. This was the plan that we were going to teach on this text on this night. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, the text we're going to look at tonight is, I believe, exactly what we need to hear in response to this last week's events. So rather than kind of jumping all over the place, we're going to continue to teach through the book of James. And you're going to see this text tonight. And I hope you really quickly see how important it is for us and for everyone in our culture and our world to hear right now. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. We're only going to look at two verses tonight. Uh, I'm going to read the entire thing, these two verses for you. And I want you to see why I'm so encouraged that the Holy Spirit brought this text to us this week. Here's what it says. It says, my dear brothers and sisters... Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Two verses. There are two verses we're going to look at tonight. Two verses we're going to consider in depth. Two verses that we're going to spend our entire time on this evening. And here is what I got to thinking about. I was reading these verses as I was prepping all week. And just kind of thinking about what this looks like and what this means. And this question started to linger in my mind. And it's a question I want to pose to you tonight. It's a question I think all of us can consider as we think about these verses here on the screen. That we're to be quick to, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become anger. And, and here's the question. Is there anyone who doesn't think that our culture would be better if all of us obeyed this command? Is there anyone out there who actually doesn't think that our world, our nation, our community would be better if we didn't walk in obedience to this command found in the book of James? And I can't imagine anyone thinks not. I can't imagine anyone would look at our world and think, you know what? I think everyone's doing a real good job being quick to listen to each other. I don't think any of you are looking at the world thinking we're all very slow to speak and slow to become angry. In fact, I think if we look at this text tonight and we consider what has been happening in our world, we will find very quickly that if all of us were to walk in obedience to this command, our world would be a different place. Our world would be a better place. But before I get to it, let me tell you the danger. When I say that the world would be a better place if all of us walked in obedience to this command, your temptation in mind is to go, yeah, if those people over there would walk in obedience to this command, right? 
That's always the temptation to be like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, those people I saw on the news, those people need to, no, no, no. Tonight, this is not about those people. Tonight, it's about us people. Tonight, it's about us and what we need to walk in, the kind of obedience we need to have in a world like we live in with a command like we're looking at tonight. So we're gonna break this command down. We're gonna walk through this text a little bit by bit. uh, And I believe that this is a message not for someone else tonight. It's a message for you. It's a message for those of you who are here in the room. It's a message for those of you that are listening this weekend online. It's a message for each of us. It begins this way. You'll see this first part in James 1.19. The first part says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. So he begins by saying that they're his dear brothers and sisters. Now I want you to know that he begins this being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry thing. He begins it not by trying to rebuke them or call them out or dunk on them or somehow make them feel less than. What he's trying to do here is he's trying to appeal to them on the basis that they are his siblings, his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now you need to understand this. When the New Testament uses brothers and sisters, it is not using it in the kind of like kumbaya, good feeling, we're all in this together type feeling we tend to use. That's not what it means. When the New Testament refers to us as brothers and sisters, when it calls us siblings, it means that on a much more profound and spiritual level. When the New Testament calls us brothers and sisters, what it is reminding us of is that we are all connected through a bloodline. And that's not the bloodline that comes from your mom or your dad or their parents or their parents, but rather the bloodline that was given to us on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we're brothers and sisters. That the reason we call each other brother and sister is that Jesus is our big brother and God is our father. And we are all connected in this family, bought together and brought together by Jesus's blood. So when he appeals to them as brothers and sisters, what he's going to begin with is this very subtle reference to the fact that all of us have been bound together by the blood of Jesus. Like he's referring to this gospel reality that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's why this matters right at the beginning. Uh, Tonight, as we look at what it means to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, the temptation is to think that these are three moral commands you have to follow, and you should just go ahead and do better because that's what you're supposed to do. But that's not the case. Uh, I said this earlier this summer. I want to bring back this concept for all of us um, this weekend. What I want to talk about is this, that biblical imperatives are based on gospel indicatives. Biblical imperatives, what you are supposed to do, the commands, are based on gospel indicatives, the things that are true about us because of the gospel, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The simpler way to put it is this, what you should do is based on what God has done. The commands given to you tonight, these commands that you would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, that is something you should do but it's something you should do based on what God has already done, based on the truth of the gospel, based on the reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for your salvation. I said this a few weeks ago, I'll say it again. Your only contribution to your salvation was your sin. You give Jesus your sin, he gives you his righteousness. That's the exchange that happens in the gospel. So when we start to think about these commands, we're doing them based on what God has already accomplished on our behalf. And here's what I think should happen in each of us. When we remember this gospel message, 
when we remember the truth that God wanted us, God chose us, God loved us, God forgave us, when we remember that truth, it should do something inside of us. And what it should do inside of us, it should remove this one thing that's going to cause us to stumble, this one little thing that's going to cause problems in us. And let me put it this way, that remembering the gospel should remove whatever pride lives within us. When you remember the gospel, when you remember the truth that Jesus Christ died on the sin, died on the cross for your sins and saved you, not because you've done anything to deserve it, but because God loved you anyway, when you remember that, it should remove pride within you. Like there should be no pride, no how awesome you are when you think about the gospel. Every time you hear the gospel story, it should empty you, drain you, remove you of whatever pride lingers inside of you. And here's why I think this is significant for our text tonight. And here's why I think this is significant for what's going on in our culture right now. Here's what I'm convinced of. If the gospel is the thing that removes or takes away or robs us or, or drains us of that pride, I'm convinced that the opposite is true. I'm convinced that the root of the dysfunction in our culture is pride. It's pride. The root of what is going on for us right now, I want to show you this through the text tonight, is pride. This subtle thing that happens within all of us where we think we're really great, we're really awesome, we've got it together, we have all the answers, we don't need to listen. I want to show you that tonight in the text. Because I'm convinced the problem in America, the problem in our community, the problem in my family, the problem in my heart isn't out there somewhere. It's the pride that lingers within inside of me. And I want to show you that tonight because I believe James is getting after something here and he's getting after our pride. Here's what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, he says, everyone should be quick to listen. So again, we're going to see these three commands here that we'd be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. The first command is that we should be quick to listen. And why does he have to say this? Why does James feel the need to tell us to be quick to listen? What's going on here? Well, here's what I think James is uncovering in us. If I said that the primary dysfunction that's going on in my heart and my family and our community and our nation is pride, here's what I'm convinced of. Pride keeps us from listening when we don't think we need to learn. That's what pride does. Pride keeps us from listening when we don't think we need to to learn. It keeps us from listening when we think we've got this thing. We don't need to learn from anyone. We don't need to hear from them on this subject. And if we're going to walk in obedience to this command, if we're going to be the type of people who respond to what God has done in humility by walking in obedience to his commands, we're going to have to train ourselves to be quick to listen. Tonight, I want you to consider how you might train yourself to be quick to listen to train yourself to be the type of person who listens to what others are saying, not just hears the words coming out of their mouth, but listens deeply to what other people have to say. This will play out 10,000 different ways in the next week for every single one of us. Uh, let me name just a few ways. I want you to train yourself to be quick to listen when those of you who are married, your spouse is talking about their day. I want you to be quick to listen. If your home is anything like my home, I'll tell you, we do not always do this very well. I'll come home from a long day at work and I've been wrestling with things and dealing with things and I've got all sorts of things on my mind and I walk in and I've got a, a, a wife who's got two little babies and she's cooking dinner and trying to keep them from tearing the house apart and we're trying to talk about our days and what tends to happen. Do we listen well in that moment? Not always. Nope, someone said no. Yeah, you're right. We don't. 
What, what tends to happen for someone like me, and maybe some of you will resonate, maybe especially you men, is she's describing her day to me and she's telling me about problems and am I listening closely? No, I'm trying to fix her problems, right? So I'm not going, okay, let me just kind of hear you. Let me just kind of be in this with you. She says something and go, well, that's easy. You should just call her. You know, like I'm just fixing rather than listening, being quick to listen. And, and, and like wives, you're not off the hook either. That, that you would become quick to listen to your husband, that you would become quick to listen to those in your family. L listen, every single day, we're going to encounter this temptation to not be quick to listen to want to solve people's problems, minimize people's problems, ignore what's going on, think about our favorite subject, which is ourselves, right? When we get home, when we encounter our spouse, we want to listen to their day. We want to be quick to listen. I want you to train yourself to be quick to listen when you're, when you're talking to your spouse. I want you to train yourself to be quick to listen when people talk about their experience of injustice. Let us be a people who are quick to listen. So, so this last summer, when, when some of the racial tensions just kind of exploded in the United States of America, um, immediately I had thoughts. Because this isn't the first time stuff has been on the news. So I had thoughts and I had stuff I wanted to share and stuff I wanted to say and, and things I felt like I should say. And then um, really at that time, the Lord was just pressing this verse on my heart. Brian, I need you to be quick to listen right now. I need you to be slow to speak. I need you to be slow to anger. And this might sound so basic to some of you that it's laughable. But I think for me, what had happened so quickly is that every time someone spoke about their experience of injustice, whether it be racial injustice or experience of sexism or oppression or, or someone who's not from this country, just anything like that. My temptation was to just kind of like hear what they were saying, but not really listen to them. I was listening to the most extreme version of their argument that they weren't actually making. And one of the things the Lord was just training me to do this summer is just sit and listen doesn't mean you have to agree with every conclusion anyone comes to. It doesn't mean you have to feel guilty or feel anything at all. You don't even have to say anything, but just listen. And my fear for so many people who have become convinced that there aren't problems with injustice in our world, isn't that they don't have the right facts or data in front of them. It's just that they're not listening deeply. They're not quick to listen when someone says, hey, I feel like I have a different experience in this culture, in this nation than you do. And it costs you nothing to be quick to listen. Listen, child of God, this isn't some sociological, political thing for you to be quick to listen. This is a biblical thing. It is a command of you that you would be someone who listens deeply, who listens closely when someone experiences the world in a different way than you do. I want to invite you to be quick to listen in moments like that. I want you to be quick to listen when someone says something or, or announces some view they have and disagrees with you politically. And listen, coming off the heels of an unbelievably tumultuous political season, I think that's really difficult right now. And I think for some of you, you've just kind of written off people who are on the other side. Whichever side you're on, you've just written off the other side. And I want to plead with you on the authority of the word of God that part of what it means to follow Jesus is to listen closely to people who disagree with you politically. Like, let me give you a litmus test here. I cannot count the number of times that I've heard someone say, I could never understand why someone would vote for fill in the blank. I could never understand how someone would vote for blank or how someone could believe in blank or how someone could oppose blank. And then that happens. Anytime you utter that phrase, if you ever hear yourself uttering that phrase, I want you to know that you are the person who is in need of an education, right? It's you. Anytime you don't understand how someone could possibly do this, it means that you have not been quick to listen to people who actually do that. Do you know that millions of people in this country voted for the person you didn't vote for? 
And I'm not saying you have to agree with them. You can strenuously disagree with them. You can think they're morally wrong. But if you don't listen, if you're not quick to listen, you're not walking in obedience to this command. It doesn't say be quick to listen unless they politically disagree with you. In that case, you're off the hook. That's not what the scripture says. Be quick to listen. Be the type of person who's going to say, you know what? I might actually have something to learn. Or at the very least, I just want to understand why. So that I don't utter phrases like, well, I can't understand why anyone would vote for blank. Because I do understand. I disagree. But now I understand because I've listened to them. We want to train ourselves to be quick to listen. We want to train ourselves to be quick to listen when we are confronted about our own behavior. When someone confronts you about your behavior, your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends, someone at work, when someone confronts you about something you did that let them down, that hurt them, that wounded them, that made them afraid. We want to be a people as Christians who are quick to listen, who say, I'm going to listen to you right now. I'm going to listen and I'm not going to get defensive and I'm not going to try to explain it away. And I'm not going to try to say, actually, it's your fault. I'm going to be someone who receives that confrontation and just listens. Even if you believe you're right, even if you believe that person doesn't have the full context, even if you think that person is incorrect in confronting you, we still want to be people who are quick to listen. We want to be a people who are quick to listen when we're being confronted about stuff inside of ourselves. Because listen, the most prideful thing you could possibly believe is that there's nothing to confront in you, right? Like imagine saying that out loud. Imagine getting up on the stage being like, hi everyone, my name's Brian. There's nothing wrong with me at all. So nothing you say means anything to me, right? Now you think that. But sometimes when we're being confronted over our own sin, we say stuff like that. We're like, no, I'm not the problem. You're the problem, right? That's what we do. But this command is trying to get us to be the type of people who have the humility, who are quick to listen. I want to listen even when someone confronts me about something that's gross inside of myself and not be this prideful, arrogant person who thinks there's nothing wrong with me. And then finally, I want to give you this example. I want you to be quick to listen when someone has a view on COVID that you do not agree with, okay? Have y'all noticed that in the last year we all became experts, right? Like we all have our opinions and we know and we've read the things online and we've watched the videos and we know our stuff and everyone else's opinion. <laughs> I know, right? That, that's what we've become. We, we become these people who don't even want to hear anything that's different than what we've locked our minds into. And maybe we've even made public statements. And so it would feel embarrassing to have to backtrack on something. But here's the truth. You and I, I mean, maybe someone listening this weekend online or in this room right now is an expert in epidemiology. But in case some of you perhaps are not experts on epidemiology, perhaps in case some of you have not spent your entire life studying this like I have not, perhaps it's okay to just listen to people who disagree with us, to listen to someone who doesn't have the same view as you. Listen, I understand for every single one of us, when it comes to COVID, when it comes to this pandemic, all of us have just gotten kind of locked in and hardened into these positions. And I think that is unbelievably dangerous, not just for our view on COVID, but for your discipleship as a Christian. If as a disciple, you are unwilling to change your mind about anything, because that would mean admitting you're wrong, there is a deeper problem than your view on COVID. There's a deeper problem going on. So here's what happens. Prideful people don't think they have to listen to anyone. Because they don't think, I'm sorry, prideful people don't think they have anything to learn and they're not quick to listen. This is what prideful people do. Prideful people are the type of people, I don't have anything to learn from you, so I'm not going to listen to you. I know what I know and I don't need to listen to you and I don't need to hear what you have to say. And those types of people are the type of people who are just swimming in pride. And pride is the sin that will sink your ship if you are not careful and not aware of this. 
What does James begin with? He goes, dear brothers and sisters. He's like, God has made you brothers and sisters. Be the type of people who are quick to listen. Don't be this prideful type of person who doesn't think you have anything to learn, so you don't need to listen to that type of person. And maybe some of you are listening right now going, yeah, okay, I get this in principle, but you don't understand. Some of the people I have to listen to, they don't know anything, okay? Like, they are fools, and I'm not going to listen to them. I want you to hear me clearly that the scriptures don't say be quick to listen to people who are really smart. It doesn't say be quick to listen to people who you think have some value add to your life. It just says be quick to listen. And if the posture of your life and heart is not, I'm willing to listen to people even if I don't like where they're coming from, then you are missing something key to what it means to follow after Jesus. Here's how it continues. It says that we wanna be a people who are quick to listen. And then he tells us to be slow to speak. We're gonna be quick to listen. And then the other side of that is we wanna be slow to speak. I want us to think about what it means to be slow to speak. I want us to think about that in the context of what it means to be a prideful person. Because here's what I'm convinced of. That pride drives us to speak quickly because we think we're the only voice that needs to be heard. Pride is what drives us to speak immediately, quickly, right away. Because we think our voice is important to be heard and no one else's is. We think if we don't speak up right away, the truth won't get out there. And if the truth doesn't get out there, well, it'll be because we didn't speak because we're the only ones who have it. Maybe you don't think that's true of you, but I'm convinced that pride is that little thing inside of us that makes us want to speak up quickly, that makes us always want to have to chime in or have the last word or the first word in a conversation. And if we're going to walk in obedience to this command, Again, not if someone else is going to walk in obedience. If we, Calvary Community Church, are going to walk in obedience to this command, we're going to have to train ourselves to be slow to speak. We're going to have to train ourselves. I want you to notice tonight I'm using this word intentionally, train. Because it doesn't just happen, okay? You're not just going to immediately one day become slow to speak. It's a training thing. It takes a long time. This doesn't immediately happen. But we need to be a people who train ourselves to be slow to speak. I want you to train yourself to be slow to speak when somebody is wrong on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> Imagine this. Not all of you are on Facebook, but if you are on any social media, you're scrolling through and then someone has an opinion that they've just spouted out. It's like a 15 paragraph thing. And it's not just that they have a wrong opinion or a bad view. It's that they're wrong and you know, they're wrong. You know, they're wrong and everyone else thinks they're right. And you're going to chime in and you're going to say something because everyone needs to know what you know. And here's what I want to plead with you. Do you think our world has become a better place because people do that? No, our world has become a much worse place because everyone gets to broadcast their opinions and how right they are at all times. Okay. When someone's wrong on Facebook, when someone's wrong, Lord help us. When someone's wrong on the internet, okay, you can go to bed. You can ignore it. You don't have to say anything at all. In fact, sometimes it would be best for you to say nothing at all when someone is wrong on the internet. What if we as Calvary became the place that decided we're just not gonna get into fights on the internet about anything? Because fights on the internet about anything have never produced anything of value ever. When someone's wrong, we just train ourselves to be slow to speak. I don't need to show up to every fight I'm invited to. I don't even need to show up to the fight because no one invited me. This person's just spouting off their opinion and I can let it be. We want to train ourselves to be slow to speak when someone's wrong on Facebook. We want to uh, train ourselves to be slow to speak when your spouse does something you don't understand. All right. And maybe it's only my marriage, okay? But sometimes we do things that the other doesn't fully understand. And the temptation is to immediately comment on it. Oh, I see you bought more eggs. You know, like, what, what, why do you have to say that? Oh, I see you put that over there. I wonder why you did that. It's like immediately you need to jump in and comment. 
As if the person you pledged your very life to in marriage and in covenant is not smart enough to make decisions for his or herself. And so you in all of your glory and all of your wisdom need to chime in and make sure they understand how wrong they are. And I just want to ask you this. Has your marriage ever been made better because you snip and snipe and comment at every little thing? No, it's never been made better. Like how many marriages would be infinitely better if we became the type of people who listened closely and didn't feel the need to speak every time we had a thought? The filter kicked in occasionally. And I want to encourage you toward that, that part of what having a healthy, God-honoring, Christ-centered marriage is, is that sometimes we're slow to speak. It doesn't mean we never speak. It doesn't mean we never say anything. It just means we slow it down. And we don't speak every time something comes into our mind. This is for those of you that are married. Let me speak to those of you that have kids, maybe especially grown kids. I want you to train yourself to be slow to speak when your grown kids are making decisions you don't like. When your grown kids are making decisions you don't like. Because when your little kids are making decisions you don't like, you've got a responsibility to step in and do something. But when they're living on their own, when they got their own house, their own spouse, the kids of their own, when they're doing their own thing, here's what I understand for everyone with grown kids, it is unbelievably difficult to sit there and say nothing. And sometimes that is the most significant thing you can do to let them grow. I'm not saying you, you let them walk into danger. I'm not saying you never speak. Again, it doesn't say never speak. It says be slow to speak. To those of you with grown children, can I encourage you sometimes just to step back and say nothing, to let people make decisions, to let your grown children make decisions, even if you've already made that decision, it was bad and you just wanna warn them and you just wanna let them know to say nothing. Sometimes that's the most significant thing you can do to grow as a parent and to allow your child to grow. Again, this is gonna play itself out in a thousand different ways. We wanna train ourselves to be slow to speak when your boss sends an email that really bugs you. There's a text message thread going on or a Slack thread or an email that goes out and you wanna respond because you have thoughts on the matter. And these thoughts are right. And you know why they're right? because they're your thoughts and your thoughts are always right. And so your boss sends something out and your temptation is to just wanna speak up, to lash out, to have words to say, to shape the conversation from the get-go. And sometimes the most fruitful thing you can do is say, you know what, there's strong opinions going on here and I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna be patient, I'm gonna listen. If I'm asked to speak, I will, but I'm not gonna be the person who has to speak in every single moment, who always has to have a comment, who always has to text someone on the side to let them know my opinion on something. I'm gonna be slow to speak at work. I'm gonna be slow to speak when my boss sends an email, a text, a Slack message, something I don't like. We wanna train ourselves to be slow to speak. And then finally, I'll say this one again. I want you to be slow to speak when someone has an opinion on COVID that you don't like. I want you to be slow to speak. Again, all of us have become experts and all of us have become hardened in our position and all of us know what we believe and we know who's doing it wrong and we know who's doing it right. And we know that we're certainly in the camp of people who are doing it right. But I want us to be a people who are slow to speak. And you might be going, Brian, you, you don't understand. I gotta speak up because if I don't speak up, then they're gonna do it wrong. And if it goes wrong, they're gonna hurt themselves and others. And listen, I understand. And again, perhaps there are times to speak. I'm not saying never, but be slow to speak. And if your temptation in the last year has been anytime someone's doing something around COVID that you don't like, you're gonna speak up and you're gonna be loud and obnoxious about it. I wanna submit to you that you are not becoming more like Christ when you do that. You are not becoming more like Jesus. That the command here is not be slow to speak unless it's really important to you. It's to be slow to speak. There's no qualifications. There's no except if it's something like this. No, it is everything. 
And I want to plead with us as a congregation to continue to be a people who are slow to speak, who give people the benefit of the doubt, who give our church, who give small groups and your neighbors and give other churches and organizations and people give them the benefit of the doubt. And you go, they haven't earned that benefit of the doubt. You might be right, but the command remains for us to be slow to speak. And that's what we need to do if we're going to be growing to be more and more like Jesus, if we're going to live and love like him. You see, because here's the problem. Prideful people don't think anyone else needs to talk, and so they're not slow to speak. This is the problem with pride. The problem is pride comes in. We don't think anyone else's opinion even needs to be heard. We don't think anyone else's opinion needs to enter into the conversation because we got it figured out. And if everyone, if the whole world, if they would just listen to me, then everything would be right. But you need to have the kind of humility, the kind of gospel humility that says, I might be wrong on some things. And if I'm wrong on some things, I don't want to jump in and have something to say on every single little thing rather than being someone who is slow to speak, quick to listen. So, so we see those first two commands, and I want to show you this third command in this triad. It's going to tell us that we are called to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then here's the final one, slow to become angry. We want to be slow to become angry. There's two things I want to kind of point out here. Um, number one, Number one is that just like the other ones, it does not say that you should never become angry. Uh, okay, so I've taught, as it turns out, a few times in the last seven months uh, on anger, okay? Uh, and we've been teaching through the scriptures on it. We've talked about there are times when anger is righteous and justified and good, right? But we want to be slow toward that. And if you find yourself constantly, immediately, the switch just flips and you are mad about something, there's work to be done in your soul. And the training that you need from the Holy Spirit is that you would become slow to anger. And then here's the second thing I want to say. I want to comment on this. Um, it is popular in, in sort of cultural psychology ways of thinking about emotions to say you can't control your emotions. They just come from inside you. At best, you can manage them, but you don't really have any control over that. And listen, that might be true from a natural perspective. But if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, don't you dare believe that you're just stuck in your emotion forever. Okay. The Holy Spirit of God changes us from the inside out over time in sanctification, making us more like Jesus, making us be people who are slower to become angry. And so hear me, if you're just angry and you've always been angry and maybe your dad was angry, you come from an angry family, you do not get to just submit, well, I'm an angry person, so this doesn't apply to me. No, this applies to you. It applies to you because it applies to all of us that we are called to be slow, to be anger. And here's where this insidious notion of pride sneaks in here is that pride drives us to become angry because the world isn't working the way we think it should. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The only reason you become angry is because things in the world aren't working the way you think they should. Things in the world aren't working the way you believe they should. You have a mental model of how the world should work. And when it doesn't work that way, anger is the natural human reaction. And what do we need to do? We need to train ourselves to become slow to anger. We want to train ourselves to become slow to anger, train ourselves to not jump to anger right away. I want you to train yourself with the Holy Spirit by God's help to become slow to anger. When I want you to be slow to anger when you think you deserve to be angry. When you think it's a good thing, you should be angry at this. Do you know why you should train yourself to be slow to anger when you think you deserve to be angry? Because almost every time you are angry, you think you deserve to be angry. You ever notice that? You ever notice it's very rare? You're like, I am angry. And someone's like, why? You're like, it's, I don't, I shouldn't be angry. You know, like, like you even say that sometimes. And even sometimes you say, I shouldn't be angry. But inside you're like, I should, right? Like that's the thing going on. 
We always think we deserve to be angry. Why? Because anger is the world not working the way, our reaction to the world not working the way we think it should. So of course we think we should be angry. And when we think we're right, and our anger is justified, and our anger is good, and I should be angry about this, the command isn't, well, don't be angry. The command is make sure it comes slowly. And if you notice the anger is just coming out of nowhere at the drop of a hat, there's some work to do in your soul. You want to train yourself to be angry when you think you deserve to be angry. I want you to train yourself to be angry when you are sure that God would be angry too. When you layer on the God piece, because you go, well, God would be angry about this and I'm angry about this. And so we make this righteous indignation fuel for whatever we happen to feel in that moment. And again, the call isn't to never be angry. It's just to be slow to anger because the scriptures actually say that God is slow to anger. And if you think you get to be quick to anger, but God gets to be slow to anger, and that's making you more like Jesus, you've missed the core teaching of the scripture about God when it comes to his anger. He's slow to anger. He's patient. He allows things to happen even though it grieves his holiness and his heart. We want to train ourselves to be slow to anger. We want to train ourselves to be slow to anger when you're outraged with something you see on TV. If you ever find yourself yelling at the television, <laughs> yeah, yelling at your phone, yelling at the computer, yelling at something that literally can't hear you. It's just like it's a device, right? Like it's just a device. If you find yourself yelling at this device, I want you to understand that this command is for you. You are called to be slow to anger, to not jump right into that anger, to not yell at the television, to not be so outraged at everything, but rather to have this slow fuse that says, you know what? The world is going to be messed up. Can I promise you something? I don't know what's gonna happen on the news tomorrow, but it's gonna be something bad. You ever caught that pattern? The news isn't like the water was running today, right? That's not the news. The news is here's all the things that went horribly wrong in the world. It's going to make you angry. Every time you look at the news, go on your phone, look at the news, watch the news, anything like that, it's going to make you angry because our world is imperfect and it will be until Jesus returns. And so when I watch TV, I'm not just going to get outraged at everything. I'm rather going to be slow to anger and I'm going to be slow to anger because being outraged at everything is no way to live. And being outraged at everything, I need you to know this, is playing right into the hands of the people who are trying to get you outraged to click and to share and to watch more minutes of television. That's what it's playing right into. Like our media world is calibrated to make you outraged at everything because outrage gets eyeballs. And when they get your eyeballs, they make money off of you. And I need you to understand that if I'm going to absorb media in this world, I've got to commit to becoming a person who is slow to anger. Next one, I want you to be slow to anger when someone says something you disagree with. This goes for everywhere. Like, why don't you imagine you're in a small group and we're, we're kind of talking about small groups right now um, and, and being a part of a group or either online or, or maybe for some of you eventually in person and all of that. You're meeting together with your small group. I want you to imagine you're in that group um, and no one ever says anything you disagree with ever. That might feel really comfortable for you. The idea that you would be in a group and everyone agrees on every single subject and no one ever makes you feel uncomfortable. Can I tell you something though? If you're in a group where no one ever disagrees with anyone about anything, you might be comfortable, but you'll never grow. You'll never grow. And so listen, if you're in a small group and you go, well, it's kind of weird because people disagree on things. I need you to know that's not weird. That's normal. It's normal. If you're in a small group and there's like political disagreements or worldview disagreements, or you kind of see things differently about how things should go right now, like that is a normal thing that makes you grow. And what do we want to be? We want to be slow to anger when people disagree with us, especially when they're Christians, especially when they're in our small group. If you're kind of going, well, people in my small group, they disagree with me. So I'm not sure I want to be in that small group anymore. I want to submit to you that you may have missed the point of a small group. 
The point of a small group is not to get together with a bunch of people who are going to affirm what you already believe. You don't need a bunch of people in your life to affirm what you already believe because you are a constant source of affirming what you already believe. What you need is what the scriptures talk about where it says this iron sharpens iron. So one friend sharpens another. That's what you need. And so when people disagree with us, when people have views, we don't necessarily see eye to eye with, we want to be slow to anger because it's that kind of thing that's making us more like Jesus. And then the final thing um, we want to be slow to anger on, and I've said this now three times, is that we want to be slow to anger when we're certain that someone is doing COVID wrong. We're certain of it. Like, it's not like we're, ah, I kind of see it both ways. We're like, no, they're doing it wrong. I can be on one side or on the other, and we're just so certain they're doing it wrong. We're so certain this official or this government agency, they're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong, and I know they're doing it wrong. And you know why I know they're doing it wrong? Because I am an expert. I have read all the things. I have all the videos. I've watched it all. I've read every article. I know what's going on here. And here's the truth. We get to this place where we're so calcified in our position that anytime anyone does anything that we haven't personally done or that we wouldn't personally do, we get outraged and anger. And let me tell you something. Anger is something that can exist in you for a little bit. But if you have spent the last 10 months of your life angry at everyone all the time, it is doing damage to your soul. If you have spent the last year of your life being outraged and angry at everyone all the time, you are suffering even if you don't know you're suffering right now. What do we want to do? We want to train ourselves to be slow to anger. When we see someone who's doing something we think is wrong and we know it's wrong and we believe it's wrong, we're not going to blow up right away. We're gonna be slow to anger, just like God was slow to anger with us. Not because there isn't right and there isn't wrong, but because we wanna be the type of people who are just kind of slowly, slowly walking through this life, trying to understand, trying to walk in humility and not pretend that we've got it all together. And those people don't, why? Because we don't wanna turn into the type of prideful people, the prideful people who think the world should work their way and therefore aren't slow to anger. We don't wanna be those people. We don't want to be the people who think the world should always function the way we think it should function. We want to be the type of people who go, listen, the world's going to work sometimes in ways I don't like. There's going to be things on the news and things in our community and things in our nation that I don't like. Like once you start to understand that tomorrow the news is going to show you things that are going to outrage you and you know it's going to come and it's predictable, you start to become slow to anger because why? You're not the prideful person who thinks the world's always going to work the way you think it should work. And that becomes freedom for us. It becomes freedom for you and your walk. So here's the final verse that we're going to look at. He continues on this theme of anger in verse 20. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Why? Why doesn't human anger produce the righteousness God desires? Because of what we said anger was. Anger is our natural reaction to the world not working the way we think it should work. So the world isn't functioning the way we think it should work. And so we get angry. So why doesn't that produce the righteousness of God? Why is James spot on here? Here's why. Because you cannot insist that life always go your way one moment and then declare Jesus as the Lord the next. Like, you can't do it. Those are two totally different statements. The world should always work the way I think it should work, but also Jesus is in charge and seated over all things and has all authority. Those two statements are in conflict with one another. And until you choose one of them, like, you, you got to pick. You can't have life always going the way you want it to and declare that Jesus is Lord and King and sovereign over all things. Because listen to me. The prideful belief that things should always go the way you want is going to impact you more than you think. And I want to close by thinking about that. I want to close by pushing this toward you. Because again, pride says, I don't need to listen to anyone because I know it already. And I need to speak quickly because I'm the one who knows everything and they need to know. And anger says the world should go your way all the time. And what happens when we do this? 
this prideful belief that things should always go the way we want? Well, first, it's going to hinder our worship. Uh, Like you can sing songs to God, but if you're just kind of in this place where you think the world should always go the way you think the world should go, it's going to hinder your actual heartfelt praise and worship and adoration of God. It's going to wreck your relationships, whether that be in a small group or in your family or in your neighborhood, in your community. It's going to wreck relationships if you think everyone should always be thinking the way you're thinking. If you can't possibly imagine how someone would have thought another way, voted a different way, talked a different way, and have a different worldview, if you can't possibly imagine why someone would get there, it's going to wreck your relationships. It's going to distort your discipleship. Like if you think discipleship after Jesus means things are always going to go your way at all times and things are always going to be good and the world's always going to work the way you want, you will miss out on the fact that part of following Jesus means suffering. Part of following Jesus means seeing brokenness and suffering in this world. Listen, it's going to impact your witness. You cannot share the gospel and you will not effectively tell people about Jesus and invite them into a saving relationship with him. You cannot and will not do that if your posture toward life is things must always go my way. That is not an appealing witness. No one in this world is impressed with someone who thinks everything should go their way all the time because that's everyone in the world. But if you come to the type of person who goes, things don't have to go my way, and in fact, they often don't, and I'm okay with that, and I'm going to listen and learn and stay humble, that is an appealing witness toward the message of Jesus. And and the next we want to, we have to understand things, it's going to decrease our generosity. The prideful person who thinks everything's going to go my way, it's going to make our generous, it's going to drain us of being generous. Because when things don't go our way, we're going to start hoarding and keeping things to ourselves. And then finally, and maybe most importantly, it robs you of your peace. When you think the world should always go the way you think it should go, when you don't think you need to listen to anyone else in this world, when you think you always need to speak up and your anger is always righteous and justified, when you think that, it will rob you of peace. And I think some of you, perhaps some of you listening online, maybe some of you in the room right now would be courageous enough to admit that in the last 10 months, your peace has been robbed from you because you have not been quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And if that's you, if that's you this weekend, I want to give you one simple, profound, and eternally relevant antidote to that. I want you to know that the only antidote to the pride that says, I'm not going to be quick to listen. I'm not going to be slow to speak. I'm not going to be slow to anger. The only antidote to this thing that robs you of your peace is this. It's that the gospel is the antidote to pride and the answer to our cultural dysfunction. It's the gospel. If you find yourself in this place where you are not quick to listen, not slow to speak, not to become angry, how do you train yourself to become more like that? It's not by white knuckling it. It's not by just trying harder. It's by constantly reminding yourself of the fact that you are a sinner who is destined for hell and God could have let you go there and there would have been nothing wrong with that. And yet God in his great mercy, while you were still sinners, sent Jesus to die for you and die for me and all of our wickedness and all of our rebellion. God wanted us anyway. Like the great message of the gospel is that you had nothing to offer God and he gave his one and only son to die for you anyway. And when you start to reflect on the truth that God wanted me when I was at my worst, it becomes the type of thing that destroys pride in my life. Why is that the antidote to pride? Because no one can think they're awesome when that's the truth of the gospel. It's the antidote to pride and then ultimately it's the answer to our cultural dysfunction. Do you want to see a culture that's filled with people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? You know how we do that? We do that by sharing the gospel, by getting people to know about Jesus, by getting people to know that at their worst, at their darkest, at the place they were farthest from God, God wanted everything to do with them when they wanted nothing to do with God. 
and sent his son Jesus into this world to die on a cross, raised from the dead, and extended them the offer of new life. How do we see our culture, our nation, our world heal from this dysfunction? It's not some political leader. It's not some new movement. It's not some kind of fake like unity that we kind of make up on our own. No, no, no. The answer to our cultural dysfunction is the answer to the dysfunction within your own heart. And that answer is the gospel, the good news of Jesus that drives pride out of our lives and allows us to be the type of people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you, like I said at the beginning, that um, months ago when we were planning a preaching calendar, you gave us this text for this night. It could have been anything, God, but it was this. In the midst of everything that's happened this week and everything that's happened in the last year, this is what you have us reflecting on this, this, this moment. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for the ways it challenges us. I, I pray for anyone right now who just feels that conviction in their heart. God, would they not harden their heart against you? If anyone today listening online in this room has heard your voice, I pray they would not harden their heart, but would rather respond to you in faith and obedience and humility. God, drive pride out of our life. Drive this sense that we're good and we've got this and we don't need to listen to anyone out of our lives. Make Calvary Community Church and the believers here, the type of people who become more and more like Jesus as we're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who humbled himself for us. And all God's people said, Amen.